I'd like you to just take a brief moment, look round about, smile at people, wave at them. If you want to, greet them, say hello. Yeah. Nice to be together in this place, isn't it? It's good to be here, together in the Lord's house. Some of those folk you might have seen might have been really close to you. They might have been sat right next to you. Other folk might have been the other side of the room. Some of them, or some of you maybe I should say, maybe have nobody sat next to you. Poor Adrian sat all there. And then, uh, you know, one or two of you sat by yourselves. And others, maybe about six in a pew. It's different. I want you to imagine that this is a wedding in here. You know, how full is a church usually at a wedding? Quite full, isn't it? Sometimes I remember um, being at one or two. Actually, nowadays it's usually okay. Because um, if you're actually doing the service, you get a, a seat and you get somewhere to stand. You know, if you're presiding at the wedding, you usually have somewhere at the front. But, you know, quite often, you know, you sort of try and squeeze in somewhere. Went to Danny and Ruth's wedding last April, and it was like, oh, where can I actually get into this church? Something is buzzing there at a wedding. And quite often at the reception afterwards, too, everybody's going about, it's wonderful, everybody's happy, and it's really busy. I want you to imagine that you're at the wedding reception. You've been to the celebration, the couple have joined together. But something's happened during that party that you're not quite sure about. Because you, as you're going around the room, you, you see the servants and they look a bit worried. They look concerned about something. There's something going on. And then, a few minutes later, the the master of the banquet just looks delighted. He's overjoyed, and everybody else starts to relax again, too. There's been a change that's happened. You've no idea what's happened. It's all been a bit of a mystery. Something's taken place. But if you were just a guest there, you probably didn't see it. Out of nowhere, a lot of wine in the usual big stone cleansing jars appeared. But you didn't understand where that had come from either. All a bit of a mystery. Until maybe some years later, ye hear of that event again. And you understand something of the fact it's Jesus' first miracle. Do 
John doesn't talk of miracles. He doesn't even mutter the word in his gospel. He calls it a sign. Now, those of you in your home groups might already have explored something of this sign, this wonder that has taken place, one of seven signs that John writes about. And John doesn't do these things simply to impress those around him or to resolve a need, but each one of them is to communicate a message about something of his kingdom and something of his love. Something of the power of God and what he is doing there. Jesus performs a sign. And the purpose of that miracle is to be a testimony which illustrates the truth of who he is and what God's kingdom is is intended to be. It's not simply for the benefit of the individual. It's not to just change the party. It's got a much greater purpose than just that one event. They're telling forth the story. And this is something that we must remember as we seek healing, as we seek a miracle, as we seek change, and God does still bring miracles and change, but as we pray for God to act in a miraculous way, we need to think of it as a way of his kingdom being revealed, of something new coming forth, rather than the improvement of health. When we seek justice, we are seeking God's justice to come. When we are seeking the answer to the difficulty, it's for the way forward for God's kingdom to reign on earth. We have to get the order right in our prayers as we seek the answer. We seek God's kingdom, not the thing we want. Last week, we had Jesus tell Nathaniel that he would see angels ascending and descending, that he would see the presence of God. And so as the ministry begins, as the first sign takes place, there's something of that God's presence being revealed. This is one of those moments that Nathaniel is being told he would encounter. But Jesus manages to do this sign as rather a covert action, operating without being detected by the large crowd that was present. Not even being seen by the man who's supposedly in charge of the feast. The servants know it. The disciples see it, but most folk there don't. So it's a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? It's a bit of a puzzle. It's a sign, but it's a sign that most people are not seeing. 
It's a sign that's not really been observed. And at that time, they probably did not comprehend what they had seen, those of us, those that had witnessed it. They didn't understand, other than Jesus somehow used his power to do something amazing. To change the mood. To enliven the feast. And it's not until John retells it in his gospel that an awakening to the signs might actually come. John begins the passage with the idea that this is on the third day. Now that reference might be just to time to show that Jesus has been able to travel back to Galilee. You'll remember last week that when he was meeting with Nathaniel, he was about to set off. Well, now he has arrived. He has got there. He's returned to his family. And he's been invited to the wedding. But John, as he writes his gospel, likes to dangle little teasers and clues for those that are in the knowledge. So a reference to a third day might actually take us to somewhere else, mightn't it? On the third day, Jesus rose again. Or maybe it's a different thing he's hinting at. Because if we're thinking back to those past few weeks, each of those was happening on a different day. We hear about on the next day. On the next day. On the next day, and then three days later. And if you count it up, you actually have a week. And so there's a sense of completeness of a period of time. And it's time for the new week, the new time to begin. The new era is getting underway as this passage starts. There's something new starting. And so we're going to discover in our season of discovery, something new. It's not one or two disciples being called forth. It's a change in ministry and the ministry really getting underway. Though it seems that it's getting underway a little bit reluctantly, doesn't it? Jesus initially resists doing anything. Women? That's not a derogatory term. It's actually quite polite. You know, as we translate it, it sort of becomes women. I wonder who'd say that to their mum. I wouldn't, you know. But women, my time, my hour has not yet come. And this is true. His hour has not yet come. That's still three years away till the time, the hour, that he goes to the cross. It's still three years to the time that his heavenly father has ordained to him that 
he will take the weight of our sins on his shoulders. But he has a heart of compassion. And although it's not time for the thing that his heavenly father has called him to do, he listens to his earthly mother. Because she knows that he has love. And she knows that he's not just another guest at the wedding. It's not just another member of the congregation. It's not just another face at the party. And she remembers something of the past. The last 30 years have not been forgotten. It's not just her son that is there. It is the son of God. It is the one that shepherds came and adored and spoke of the angels that had visited. It's the ones that the Magi bent down before. It's the one that we'll maybe be thinking of in a couple of days' time when it's the 40th day after Christmas. And it's the day when Simeon and Anna are encountered at the temple as Joseph and Mary take the baby. And the words are shared, a sword will pierce your soul too. She knows who this person is that's with her. And he will do something. So she says to the servants, do whatever he says. Do we have the openness of those servants to do whatever he says? Are we ready to listen? Because he actually tells them to do a bit of a strange thing. Those stone jars, fill them with water. Well, how's that going to resolve the issue? It's water. We've run out of wine. Get your ladle, take some, give it to the head of the banquet. Yeah, what's he got to think when I give him a ladle full of water? But somehow, at some point, a change takes place. We don't know what moment it is. But by the time that the cup touches the lips of the host of the banquet, it is the sweetest wine it could be. It is the best. It is better than anything that could be imagined. And Normally, the best was brought out at the start of the party. But the Lord has brought forth the best.
those stone jars which uh, are normally used for ritual cleansing uh, are described in um, their uses described in Mark chapter 7 um, as being a tradition of the elders and it's something that's been handed down and handed down and handed down it's a tradition we have to do it I remember um, my very first Sunday after being ordained as a minister. Not inducted here, being ordained as a minister. And in the vestry, the elder on duty said to me, now we've done things in a certain way before. It's up to you to decide how you do them now. Breaking tradition. I have to say, they then proceeded to do things exactly like how it had always been done before. Not because I wanted it done that way, but we fall into traditions, unusual practice. And then you say, actually, maybe we'll change this a little bit. Maybe everybody won't stand up when I enter the room. And, But we can change traditions. We can change how we do things. And our understanding will come out of that. These were used for ceremonial washing. But the cleansing of sin will come from the blood of Jesus that's poured out. The cleansing that needs to take place is going to be nothing to do with these big jars. And so the Lord repurposes them. He says, we've got to use them in a new way. What's past is past. What's new is new. And so the wine is brought forth. And it's a lot of wine, far more than would be needed for the party. And it reminds us that there's space for all to come to Jesus. Space for all to come and taste of this cup, to be refreshed, to receive new life. Jesus has not limited who can know his love and forgiveness. And were the physical capacity of the jars too small, he could have made it that they just overflowed and kept on overflowing. Like Elijah, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he did to help the poor widow and the pouring pouring out of the oil until each jar was filled. There's grace enough for the whole earth and where it needed for other planets too. And the servants discovered this. 
The servants who'd thought the party was at an end are now able to rejoice in a new way. They who had been so downhearted, so worried, so troubled about what was going to happen next. Perhaps like Cleopas and his friend on the Emmaus Road. But after the cup has been shared, the spirits would be lifted and their hearts strangely warmed. The host calls the bridegroom and declares what a great thing has happened. As in the days of creation, what God in Christ has done is seen to be good. And this wine, the best that can be, is seen to be a foretaste of the great banquet that will take place. The one that is yet to come. When Christ himself will be the bridegroom and his church, you and I, and those up the road and those round the back, we will be the bride. We have an invitation to be part of that feast. To join in the celebration. To know God in his fullness. But just as there's empty seats here now, there's space for many more to be with the Lord on that day. So let us help others discover how good the best is. Let us help others be refreshed and discover the promise of the banquet by sharing with them the glorious gospel that we know. Amen.